This episode is brought to you by marketing consulting firm, the Bonafide Lyrics and Marketing, LLC, where creativity meets business. You can check us out at www.theblm.com for more information on how we help local artists and creatives maximize their business presence. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah. It's the All Love, No Fear Podcast. Hey, It's hey. the All Love, No Fear Podcast. Hey. Check hey. us out. Hey. It's the All Love, Oh, No Fear Podcast. Podcast. Uh-huh, podcast. uh-huh. All Love, Oh, No Fear Podcast. Hey. Welcome. Hey, party people. Hey, what's the all love, no, for, no fear podcast? Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome to season three, episode, I think this is 24. 24. Yeah. Season three, episode 24 of the All Love, No Fear podcast with me. Uh, I'm KB and my wonderful co-host. Mr. Mark Metapoetic Bennett. And we have a guest. Yes, a fabulous, <laughs> fantastic, amazing, just awesome sauce guest. Uh, Reverend... <laughs> Reverend, uh, almost Reverend Doctor. Come on, almost. <laughs> We're speaking it into existence, Reverend Doctor. Because you know Reverends love a Reverend Doctor. Reverend Doctor. <laughs> Andrew Wilkes of the Double Love Experience Church, uh, which is located in Brooklyn, New York. Um, they're a new church start. They've been in existence going on two years now, or about to be two years um, this year. Um, they, him and his wife, um, they co they co pastor. Um, she couldn't be here today with us, but shouts to Pastor Gabby, we miss you, and hopefully you'll be back around next time. Um, so we're just gonna read his bio, which is seriously truncated on their website, by the way. It's much longer. It's he's a very very accomplished young black man. He's he's walking black excellence. We see it, and so we're gonna give him a proper introduction. We're not just gonna have him come on here like he's regular schmegmadegly. You feel me? Because he's somebody. Yes. Okay. So Mark's gonna gonna read it since he has it pulled up. Yes. So Pastor Andrew Wilkes is an ordained minister whose calling is rooted in the joy bringing justice rooted ministry of Jesus Christ. A native of Atlanta, Georgia, Pastor Andrew received his call to a preaching ministry at the age of fifteen. Mm -hmm. While serving in the auxiliary ministries of Zion Hill Baptist Church, Pastor Wilkes was licensed to preach the gospel at a as a student at Hampton University, HU. According to him, the real one. <laughs> whereas a pre-college student, he co-organized co a campus-wide Bible study to provide an interactive format for discussing scripture and everyday life. At the age of 26, Pastor Andrew was ordained to Christian ministry in national Baptist Convention at Zion Hill Baptist Church under the leadership of Reverend Dr. Aaron Parker. Pastor is a proud graduate of Hampton University, Princeton Theological Seminary, where he received the Elder Garnett Hawkins Award for Academic Excellence and the Coral Fellowship for Public Affairs in New York City. Pastor Andrew currently works with the Civics Education Organization, Generation Citizen, as the Senior Policy and Advocacy Director. Pastor Andrew most recently served on the pastoral staff of the Greater Allen Amy Cathedral of New York for over five years under the leadership of Reverend Dr. Floyd El Elaine Flake. In that capacity, he founded and led the Micah 6-8 Social Justice and Advocacy Ministry and was appointed co-pastor to Young Adults alongside Minister Gabby Kuja-Wilkes 
He, he's wonderful wife, by the way. Yes. <laughs> he also served as the executive director of the Drum Major Institute, founded by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and currently serves as a board member of Habitat for Humanity in New York State and the Labor Religion Coalition of New York. Reverend Wilkes is the principal of Wilkes Advocacy Group and the PhD candidate in political science at the Graduate Center, City University of New York, and the Graduate Teaching Fellowship at the City College of New York. Pastor Andrew is the recipient of numerous awards, including the Guy R. Brewer Distinguished Leadership Award, the 2015 recipient of the New York Theological Seminary's Micah Institute Courage Award, the 2013 recipient of Reverend Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Push Advocacy Award in the 2013 Francis Hesselbein. Is that Hesselbein? Is that correct? Hesselbein. Okay. Hesselbein Leadership Institute Next Leader of the Future Award. He is the proud husband of Minister Gabby Kuja Wilkes and the author of Freedom Notes, Reflections on Faith, Justice, and the Possibility of Democracy. You can follow him on social media at, at Andrew J. Wilkes. That is Pastor Wilkes. Yes. Thank you so much for coming. He ain't new to this. He true to this. You heard the bio, y'all. Yes. He about this. He about this advocacy and social justice life. Okay, yes. he 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 didn't pull up, you know, a few months ago on Twitter and said, you know what, I'm here. He been about this. Okay, yes. since 15, he been about this. Okay, <laughs> you heard the credentials. Don't ask about it no more. Okay. And um, funny thing is, um, I uh, I mentioned this previously to um to Minister Gabby, but. Um, I met Minister Gabby as part of a step team at Hampton University, <laughs> as a Christian step team at Hampton University. That's how, how I met her. The funny thing is, what y'all don't know is, that was my freshman year of college. I was, I, I just got saved a few months before that. So she was kind of my introduction into everything. <laughs> mm. She was kind of like, helped my introduction into what Christianity was. Oh, wow, I never knew that. Because I, I was saved September 20, 2003. That's the first time I was saved. Because I, I, I didn't grow up in church at all. But I didn't really know if, um, learn who Christ was to later on in life. Mm -hmm. and I, so I wasn't saved to then. And I was like at a men's retreat um, mm -hmm. for my church on, in September of that year. Mm -hmm. So like she was kind of my um, starting into ministry and what ministry was. And like she kind of helped guide me to that. Okay. <laughs> so wow. I, I always appreciate that. Yes, yes. And uh, her and Reverend Andrew have a funny story about how they met. Uh, go follow her uh, Facebook page. You know, it was really God ordained that they met the way it all worked out. Like she was supposed to go to another college. And then the person told her, oh, yeah, my nephew's going there. And it ended up being Reverend Andrew. And now here they are years later, the both of them. Just dynamic, dynamic people. Yes. So um, when we get to our main topic for today, you're going to find out why we invited um, Reverend Andrew to the conversation, but we wanted to give you his bio and background so you understood where we were coming from. Yes. So with that being said, let's get into our opener, Love It or Lose It. Uh, we have a little jingle, Reverend Andrew, so we're just going to sing it because that's what we do here. Um, and then we're going to get into it. It's Love It or Lose It. Hey, Love It. Or lose it. Hey, hey, love it. Or lose it. Hey, love it. Or lose it. Hey, 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 and then you have to decide, um, one person usually knows, so today I'm the person that knows what the options are. And then you have to decide which one you would lose, throw away, toss in the trash, never never have again, and which one you would love, hold on to forever with all your heart, you would never give it up, 
if you if you were pressed to do so. And you're presented with four choices. And you're presented with four choices. So, in honor of the verses that will likely never be between uh, Keisha Cole and Ashanti, that thing been postponed more times. Than I don't know what. At this point, I don't think it's going to happen. They should just move on. So, in honor of that verses uh, that that never will be, um, I decided let's do a love it or lose it featuring early two thousand singers because that's the era that Ashanti and Keisha Cole are from. And that was kind of the justification that was given when they were announced as the competitors. Because at first I was like, I don't see why they're here. But given, because <laughs> they just don't seem the same to me. But given the era of time that they were out, I was like, I could see how they would be considered uh, uh, peers. So the four early 2000s ladies that we will be uh, deciding amongst this week are Keisha Cole, Ashanti, Alicia Keys, and Sierra. Which of these four would you just get rid of everything they've ever done? You would wipe it from the face of history, pretend it never happened. And which one would you just like cherish with all your heart for the rest of your life? You're going to play it when you're 80 years old and tell your grandkids, y'all don't know nothing about this music. Yeah. You don't know nothing. We usually all do the lose it first. Yeah, we do the lose it first and then the, then the love it. So Keisha Cole, Ashanti, Alicia Keys, and Sierra. So... You know, these are see, these are some choices because these ladies have some box. Yeah. And they've made some moments. Okay. Yeah. And and the 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 crazy thing is, even you have to take everything that they have done. So everything that they've written too. So like if you throw out Ashanti, you throw out also Mariah Carey's okay. <laughs> yeah, J Lo's music you gotta include. Yeah. It's a lot of it's a lot of stuff that goes with Ashanti. I wouldn't throw away Ashanti, that's just me. Yeah. But you know. These are some things you got to think about. You got to throw away everything. Their catalog, the stuff they've written for people, the whole thing. The whole thing. I know who my choice is, but do you want to go? Um, people are going to be upset. Um, th this is why. <laughs> what you about to say? <laughs> Keisha Cole, right? And this is what I said. So I know it sounds crazy. I only say that <laughs> because... Um, I think the other three have written songs that define my generation a lot more. Um, Ashanti has written a lot of songs that define my generation. Ja Rule has, like, like that, that group has defined Like, you can, if you throw away Ashanti, you have to throw away Ja Rule too, because yeah. so, they were a vibe for like a solid Alicia three Keys, years. Um, from her beginning to like Around Girl on Fire was great. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, been her voice left, but you know. Yeah, so. <laughs> it did, and they, and they come back. So, and then was we'll, we'll, like, but it defined the generation with that. Um, and Sierra, which a lot of people, I think they might, um, they might choose Lose It For, but like, she had a lot of songs with Missy and Timberland and Ludacris that were like, great. <laughs> Especially like, in, even Happy University, which is a lot of things that she kind of defined for me. And, um, but Keisha Cole was a great Great has a great song, but it doesn't do anything that much as much for me. Yeah, she was a great singer because I was like, "Ooh, that's incredible." It's not a little great things for me. It's great, it's very strong. Um, I think I agree with you. Keisha Cole would be my loser too. Like Keisha Cole does have some box. Like I should have cheated is a great song. She sings down, um, and the video is super cute. She looks great. Um, I like that I changed my mind song. Like there's a lot of Keisha Cole songs that if they came on today, I'd be like, ooh, I remember this. This is cool. But like, I don't know. There was something about her I never like caught on to as a as an artist. Like it was like 
I never was like, oh, I'm a fan. Or I'm like pressed to hear a Keisha Cole song. Or say, like, I'm always just kind of like, okay. I've never felt like particularly strong feelings about her. Like, I don't dislike her. I don't, I, I just, she, okay. Like, I feel like she came out, and I don't know if it's because she came out when there was like a sea of, of Black girl singing. Like, the early 2000s was like Black girl artist heaven. Like, they were everywhere. Like, I feel now it's very limited. Like, it's like, you get one every couple of years, but like early 2000s, like everybody was outside. You had Brandy, you had Monica, you had Beyonce. She had just broken off from Destiny's Child. Uh, you had um, A. Marie, Fifi Dawson. You had all types of girls that were out. So I guess Keisha just didn't make that impact for me. And maybe she speaks to a particular demographic of of people because I also I also find I'm not that big on West Coast artists in general. Um, so that might be part of why I was kind of like eh about her but yeah while i do think she's talented i i would be fine without keisha cole that would be my loser what about you andrew what are your what are your thoughts my, I, I was trying to uh gather my thoughts while i was uh listening to you all <laughs> put, put yours together you know um eh, i probably could do um without uh Keisha Cole. Uh Keisha, I, I appreciate um love. I appreciate sent from heaven. Oh, yes. Uh I assume she's gonna pull some receipts. I, I think she may have made some music with Death Row here there back in the day. Uh so you know she she's been in the game for a while. But you know, b- beyond those songs and the ones you name, I feel I feel a little meh about her catalog, you know. So Big uh in, in terms of um Whose music I appreciate uh, the most of the folks on this probably probably Sierra. Uh, some of that is a little regional bias, you know. Sierra uh, is an Atlanta artist, mm-hmm. uh, but I also appreciate her. I feel like she is in part uh, an heir to Janet Jackson. You know, someone who just dances really well, puts on a really great show. Um, you know, re- really entertaining. I'll be honest. I'm, I appreciate that we have someone from Atlanta on the show because we like we all have New York people, so like our New York bias is strong. <laughs> so I'm glad we have someone from Atlanta to like have a different perspective. I'm very happy. Yes, I agree. Because like it's be Matt in New York talking, and I'm like, all right, but like I feel like there's a balance that needs to be happening. <laughs> it's very, very northeast strong sometimes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. all right. I, I figured once we said Sierra, I was like, Reverend Andrew better choose right. <laughs> that's your Atlanta people. You can't do her like this. That's exactly. it. That's it. You can't you can't disrespect your origin. No, you cannot. You cannot. You cannot. Yeah, love it. Um I think I'm gonna go with Sierra too. I was going back and forth between her and Ashanti, but I'm like, Sierra, like. Sierra, like whenever one two step comes one, on, one two step, come on, rock it, so stop it, everybody in on Like Sierra's songs, like even though they were very like, like I don't know what's the word, like I don't want to say juvenile because that's not the right word. Like they were very like light and boppy, but like when I hear them, I'm like, yes, yes, that's a like it's a forever bop. Like goodies will forever be a bop. One two step. What's that one she did with Ludacris? That slow one. Oh, like all oh. the songs. Like I saw a video of hers recently. I was like, yes, Sierra, yes. And I appreciate the fact that like she is still like she doesn't have to make music anymore. She really doesn't. She just does it for fun at this point. But like I appreciate the fact that she's like 
I love her on social media. Like you always see her like doing little dance challenges with her family and like, didn't they have a challenge a couple years ago? Like the level up challenge. So like people can talk about Sierra's singing ability all they want, but what does the young lady have? Presence, okay? She has presence. How many girls from that era can have a challenge and people actually take it seriously? Like that, that level up challenge was like a thing for like a month. So you can say whatever you want about Miss Sierra, uh, Sierra Jackson, what's her name now? Sierra Wilson. But um, the girl has presence. That's all I have to say. And she's aged beautifully. Like she looks just like she did to me like back when she first came out. Like, I, I like her. I'd like to see a versus with her and somebody. They wouldn't win, but I'd like to see it. <laughs> I, I, think, I think if you do a versus, the versus, you should like always point up with your versus. That's what people have been doing. But like also when you point up, people look at you like, no. I mean, I think people tend to point up more because they they want to say like I'm in the same number as this person. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, who who is she? Because like they 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 always want to be like, if I point up and they and they accept my verses, now they're going to categorize me in the same level. Even if I don't win, it doesn't matter. They put me on the same level now, and like I think that's um that's what that's what happens a lot. So like I think that's why people always try to challenge people. Like if someone catches on, it's over. Yeah, but but some sometimes it goes a little left though. I feel I feel like Rick Ross and Two Chains. Did, did y'all see that one? Yeah, that's exactly. Oh, that, the whole city took a blow during that one. <laughs> Not the whole city. The whole city. Rick Ross put on for Miami so bad. And I was like, oh come on, Tallahassee, you you, you got to do better for us. <laughs> it was like before the Gucci and Jeezy one, it was probably the most uncomfortable verses I had seen at that point. Like, I was like- Uncomfortable. The energy in here is so weird. But I think the energy like, was weird happening? because I don't know if they're cool with each other. I like, I'm like, do they have a problem that because, we don't know about? Because like, if they were cool with each other, it might've been a different story. Like, the energy was weird. Like, I was like, is everybody just a little too, like, uh, affected by the substances or do they have some type of- Like, the energy was just weird. It was no camaraderie. It was just like- yeah, okay. I, I, and then, I, I mean, think they, I think they just took the, um, how the comment, I think um, 2 Chainz took a lot of how the comments were going very personal. Possibly. And so he, like, he just felt uncomfortable in there. That's probably what it was. And I think that's kind of, that, that's that's the problem of where when you announce it, you're going to get people's opinion before you even go. Yeah. True. It was a weird matchup, though. I don't think it was a match. When I heard it, I was like, okay. Like, but 2 Chainz surprised me with his selections. Yeah. I was like, like if they were cool with each other, it might have helped to change a lot. Mm. If they were cool with each other, because like they were both to vibe to each other's music and tell stories. Cause like I think the stories and stuff like that helped the verses a lot. Yeah. That's true. But like they weren't vibing, so like it didn't do anything. <laughs> like it was and, and then there's the uncomfortable part that uh, you know, uh, two two chains has like infectious chants. Yeah. Well, Rick Ross is a rapper. And yeah. so Rick Ross would have his verses and then two chains would have his like you know, nursery rhymes. It was bad. It was bad side by side. <laughs> not nursery rhymes. Not nursery rhymes. But yeah, like it's like when you heard when you hear the bars between the two of them, it's like, who did this? Who, who did this? Who who came to embarrass two chains like this? Y'all ain't have to. Y'all ain't have to do them like this. And I like two chains, but I just was like, but the reason why I said that because there, there were certain verses that people thought that wouldn't be no contest, and it, and like it brought people up a lot. There's a few of those. Um, that like I don't know if they were equal. Like I think Jada Kiss is very regional. Yeah, right? a lot of people know him, but he's very regional. Yeah, but a lot of people say Jada Kiss won that versus with Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And based, so like, it, I think that helped. Not a lot of people, the facts. No, facts. <laughs> Not a lot of people, the facts. Because for all the fact, and I'm a fab fan, I was like, what are you playing, my guy? What is this? Yeah, because like, with, with that one, like, you can't outstreet Jadakus. Like, you can't. Like, Jadakus is putting street records. You can't put street records. You gotta, you gotta go back to your to your ballads and your like I'm like fabulous. Where was the superwoman? Where was the yeah, sir? Yeah. Where are the things that yeah. we have come to love about you? you, you, can't, you can't. When he first taught us how to spell F A B O, all that. Like where are those things? I'm like I'm sitting there the whole time. Like he's gonna play it next. He's gonna play it next. And then he just kept playing these obscure records. And I'm like, sir. Yeah. You can't. Like, what are you doing? You trying to outskate Jenkins? Can't do that. Can't. No. But that's not you. You didn't do the strategy right, sir. <laughs> you, 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 you didn't. You didn't do it right. But yeah, you got to talk to the people in your city, Mr. Wilkes, about um, that Jeezy uh, Gucci thing. I've never been so uncomfortable from my TV screen in my life. <laughs> I was, the whole time, for two hours, I was like this. It was so uncomfortable. I said, Atlanta's not like this. I've it's been there several times. It's a nice place. What is this? What is this? What is this? I know, I know. So true. Oh, so Jesus. True. I was like, oh, oh my, this is escalating. When Jeezy got up and said, you know what? I said, see, that's a universal black people warning. When they hit you with, you know what? Nothing pleasant is coming after. So I was sitting there like, oh no, no, where's the security? Someone interested. Where's that love of hip hop security when you need it to just rush the stage? Because, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but like, it, it, it was, um, it was uncomfortable. But I will say is like, I heard that it did help a lot though after. Cause like, there was a lot of, cause like there was a lot of beef with like just people, like high school kids are still beefing over yeah, so, so I heard like it kind of helped out after. So oh, praise, was, praise Jesus, yeah. praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Um, you never said you love it. Who's your love it? Um, I think it's Alicia Keys. <laughs> I'm only saying Alicia Keys because her run was so strong. It was her her first her run mm -hmm. like for the for the first three albums. Yeah, it was just it was so strong. It was like she was like she was the person you call for everything. Like mm -hmm. you call her for. Um, hip hop awards, soul awards, <laughs> Grammys, Grammys. You were called like she was like everywhere. Mm -hmm. like, you you were called for everything because like people were just excited about her playing piano. Like it, like she was a person who you wanted for everything. So like her run was just so strong, and was and like her her music was so strong that like even like after it was it fell off a lot, but her run was just so strong that it kind of like I don't know if I want I will lose that. <laughs> Yeah. I'll lose how lose how strong I was. No, I agree. Like falling will always be a bang. Um, Most of the songs. Uh, you don't know my name. Yeah. That video will forever be will forever be epic. You know, most deaf Alicia Keys giving us her sultry talking voice. <laughs> classic, forever classic, oh, forever classic. I, I'll watch that video to today because I just I just think it's so cute. So I I, I think that's the reason why I said I, I don't know if um. I, I cannot. I think that I, I will want that to constantly be there. I don't want that to go away. Okay. That. That. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like, like forever bastard. Forever bastard. So that was love, love it. it or lose it. Hey, love it or lose it. Hey, 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 love it or lose it. Hey, love it or lose it. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. Ha, ha, ha. All right. <laughs> yes. So send us your thoughts, your your feelings, whatever. Find us on the socials. It's all love no fear podcast on Instagram, all love no fear p1 on Twitter. You can also email us all love no fear pcast at gmail.com and contact at all love no fear pcast.com. I think that's all the 
the things. Um, shout out to everybody listening wherever you're listening, Google Play, Apple Music, Spotify, all the places. Thank you so much for joining us. So, as you all know, um, 2020 came in, 2021 kicked in the door waving the 4-4. That's, that's, that's how we, that's how we started. Uh, we had five cute little days of just, oh, wow, look, new year. And then the shenanigans began, um, during lunchtime, no less. People were minding yeah. their business. <laughs> minding their business. We had just made it through the day. We were watching the, uh, the numbers from the night before, like, oh yes, Warnock got in there. Look at God, we're waiting for Asa. And here come, mm. <laughs> here come. The terrorists. January 6th. In the dead of winter. Is that what we're doing? For real? The dead of winter. <laughs> In the dead of winter. All people lunchtime. I feel very strongly about lunch as a meal. So, <laughs> all people lunchtime. Just tearing stuff up. So, in case you've been hiding under a rock. Um, on January 6th, uh, 45 held a briefing rally. Something of, of this kind. Uh, essentially uh, encouraging his pro his followers to march down Pennsylvania Avenue uh, to the Capitol to protest the counting and the, not the counting, the certifying of the electoral college votes, which would essentially finalize the election and certify that President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris are indeed the winners of the 2020 election and are good to go forward and be inaugurated on the 20th. So the speech was given and uh, the people marched and uh, basically uh, overran the Capitol building uh, and things were kind of on lockdown for about five or six hours. And uh, no, they they, um, they had a it was it was wild. Yeah, it was wild. They had, they had curfew from six p.m. to six a.m. Yes, because it was wild. And I it, think people got arrested. I think people didn't get arrested. A lot of people didn't get arrested to a curfew. Yes, many of many four. of the people that were participants of that went right home. Yeah, sat on their couches and watched on the news. Like, wow, that's crazy. Look at that. Wow. Um, there were some folks that were arrested after the curfew. Um, there were, I believe, two people who died as a result of, no, I'm lying. I think it's five. Yeah. yeah. Four, four of them were protesters. One, four, yeah, four of them were protesters. One was one of the police officers who uh, was hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to talk about this whole thing today because I think the thing for me about it all is that this was the light bulb for a lot of people in this country. This thing was the light bulb. Black people have been protesting for years. We have been telling them, this is, this is what's happening. This type of rhetoric is dangerous to this whole country, not just to us, but this whole country. And people were like, oh, y'all doing too much. Y'all complaining about nothing. It's not that serious. And January 6th, was the first time after the decades that Black people have been telling this country that it hasn't done right by us, that white supremacy has eroded the fabric of this country. No one has listened until January 6th. And to see the various pundits on CNN, MSNBC, just kind of being like, oh my God, I can't believe something like this, but I can't believe something like this like just flabbergasted like oh well we know that uh 
uh, if black people had done this, they would have been shot. Like, it took this mm-hmm. for people to understand. It took this for people to finally see, oh yeah, police brutality looks different when the protesters are black and brown. We saw police opening barricades to let these people in. We saw police leading people down the steps of the Capitol like it was kids on a field trip. We saw police officers running away from the mob with just a baton and a, and a walkie-talkie. But had the protesters looked like me or you, blood would have been flowing on the streets. Yeah. So it's, it, it, it's, and, and it, it was so many different things. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was that. And like, it was also politicians, like forget about the politicians who were promoting it. For the politicians who were complicit <laughs> and, just try, and just saying like, it won't get that bad. Like, I'll just support them just so I can get these votes, but it won't be like, it won't be a big idea. I'm just trying, cause like a lot of them were just, a lot of them were like, some of them were very promoting him. Mm-hmm. Other people were like, I'm just going to be on his side to the 20th so I won't lose his votes. Right. Like it was like a go along to get along. And, and, and theirs yep. was equal because they, they were like, oh, it's not, it, it can't be that bad. Josh Hawley's learning. Yeah. And I, and I think that is what the crazy, and, I, and like there's like a lot of different things I want to like focus on. I want to focus on how like people are complicit, like what they, they do with that issue. Um, even I want to go back to how during the election with the uh, with the white evangelists yes, <laughs> promoting the, the, with the prophets and, and talking about the African angels and everything and like how mm. like how how like my belief yeah, yeah. you know the African angels was like say that we don't know is that okay black black people don't know how don't know how to do nothing else it's mind our business where other people was getting into some stuff we're like oh wow <laughs> but, like, but like um it was like um. It's kind of like it makes me it makes it look like that. Um, you keep trying to say, to put um, an image of what God will accept, and God will show you something different. <laughs> yeah, and God will, and God will, because like it could have just because if, if Donald Trump was just quiet after the election, it might have gone a different story. But like ever since the election, he's kept stepping on his own foot. <laughs> he got yep. shooting his own foot over and over. Right. Like the, before and, this, the call came out last week that he was telling the gov- the guy in Georgia, "Hey, can you just make eleven thousand yeah. more votes happen for me?" Yep. So, Secretary of State. It's constantly a bunch of things to show, like, "Oh, no, we're not going to just show you that he lost. We're going to show you why he lost. We're going to show you why you were wrong. We're going to keep showing you that over and over." Mm-hmm. And I guess I wanted to know. I guess first is like, what were your thoughts as things were happening? <laughs> and it can yeah. be from a personal perspective, a pastoral perspective, a political scientist perspective. Yeah, you know, um, all, all, all the feelings, right? Like, 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 like so many of us, all, all the feelings. You know, it, the first there's this just uh, frustrating juxtaposition that the night before uh, Tuesday night, you see um, historic elections in Georgia's results. Uh, you see as a result of Stacey Abrams and so many other uh, organizers on the ground, uh, you get uh, Georgia's uh, first Black uh, U.S. Senator. Uh, you get a, a Jewish Senator coming from the state of Georgia, former Confederate state, state where they still wave Confederate flags. Uh, so it appears that, you know, the possibility of uh, a multiracial democracy that wants to reckon with white supremacy um, 
in a symbolic sense, because I don't want to overstate what um, mm -hmm. Georgia's election of those two senators mean, but certainly a move in the right trajectory seems to be happening on Tuesday night. Then on Wednesday, we get all of this foolishness. And so I think the juxtaposition between a multiracial democracy that America has never been, but mm -hmm. could be, is in conflict with the white nationalist oligarchy that America has always been. And you mm -hmm. see those two things at loggerheads. And, and, and it's a battle that has, unfortunately, a lot of historic uh, precedent, uh, right after Reconstruction and at least the on paper abolition of slavery, you get the birth of Jim Crow, you get uh, the birth of the Ku Klux Klan, you get lynching happening, not just in Southern states, um, because that's kind of a narrative of Southern exceptionalism. You get that racism in places like Indiana, you get it in certain parts of upstate New York, uh, so on and so forth. The second time we see this battle between uh, multiracial democracy and, and white nationalist oligarchy is after the, the gains of the civil rights movement, right? Uh, we, we began to see in, in fierce uh, resurgence, uh, white citizens councils and the John Burt Society and, and Goldwater's campaign, Barry Goldwater's campaign, mm -hmm. uh, which attempts to just kind of mainstream um, on the fringes and on the edges of society, um, white supremacy and all kinds of extremist uh, hate-oriented politics. And then now, um, in this kind of third moment where we're trying to struggle and strive towards being right, this multiracial democracy that we've never been. Uh, America has never been America to me, as Langston Hughes says, but I swear this one thing America shall be. We're in that kind of moment, right? When this moment starts, um, at least one way we can tell the story is when Obama, you know, starts to make the move towards the presidency. Mm -hmm. And at the same time that we see Obama making move towards the presidency, if we recall those years, which seems so long ago after having endured a Trump presidency, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Trump, uh, emerges as a national political figure uh, mm -hmm. to kind of capture and corner uh, the market on this kind of white nationalist oligarch. He starts saying Obama wasn't even born in the country, right? Mm -hmm. so, so he builds his transition from his only credential from reality TV star to presidential candidate is, hey, America, I can whip up the racist sentiments of white folks as good as anybody else, as good as Pat Buchanan, as good as... Uh, uh, um, Lord have mercy, uh, Strom Thurmond. I mean, we, we can go on and on and on. George Wallace uh, down in Alabama, the, the governor there. And so Trump is unfortunately um, a inept version of um, what has multiple varieties of, of mainstream white nationalist politics. And, and to see not only him, but as you all noted, um, senators, uh, some of whom are just at the beginning stages of their careers, right? Uh, Josh Hawley, a 40-something senator from Missouri, banking that of the 74 million folks who voted for Trump after, right, uh, he 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 could have read the tweets, right, after he might have been able to read the news and say, maybe I should recalibrate. His calculation is that there are enough, um, there's enough uh, fear, right? This is the all love, no fear pocket. There's, there's enough white resentment, enough white sense of grievance as opposed to being a beloved community, being a multiracial democracy. There's enough for me to hitch my wagon and double down. Yes, I will vote to not certify the, the results with respect to uh, Arizona and other places. So, so that's what I find most troubling about this, that you have a Republican party um, 
and the Democratic Party is far from perfect itself. Uh, but that, that, that's, a, that's, that's for another conversation. But a Republican Party in particular, because we, we have to be precise in particular about um, the unevenness of responsibility here. That right. is totally all in to being uh, a racist party, not even trying to um, dissociate itself from its roots. Right. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and I, what, you're, what you're saying is true. I think a lot of times people will, will always say, well, the Democrats have issues too, but like there's there's levels. Yeah, there's levels. <laughs> there's, there's levels. levels. There's levels. <laughs> but, like, yeah. People are like this, this wrong here, wrong here. No, there's, there's levels to this wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. You can't just put them all in the we're wrong. It, it, it's, it's levels to it. But like I think that's that's kind of like how they kind of married and this election went so crazy in the first place. They try to say like this is wrong, this is wrong. They're both wrong, so it doesn't matter where both. There's levels. Yeah, absolutely. Levels are like. Like we're just gonna forget about everything that happened before. Like it's it's it's, it's levels. And like what happened, what has happened um throughout the presidency, like there's, there's a lot of white Democrats who went to Trump after. Yes. Like they 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 some some a lot of someone voted for him when he went when he was there, and a lot more went over to him and transferred on after four years. They were like, oh, I'm more Trump because <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this um, meme where it was like white people. Are so good at voting against their own interests. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or I mean for their interests, because I think ultimately, I think what we as the voting public need to recognize mm-hmm. is that the people we're voting for are opportunists at the end of the day. Point blank in the period. Very few of these people actually legitimately care mm-hmm. about the day-to-day life, well-being, efficacy, any of that of the constituents that they are charged to represent, especially mm-hmm. as they move up into areas of Congress and the Senate. Which, it, which it's, it's about building a political career and hitching your wagon, as, as Pastor Andrew said, to what you think is going to get you to that next level. And so I think, you know, when we're looking at, oh, the Democrats, the Republicans, to me, this is just my opinion, I feel that they're all made up of a similar type of individual who, like anybody else, is in a particular career field where the connections you make, the people you're close to, the alliances you have, that mm-hmm. all has an impact on how your career moves in that sphere. And so I think we we as voters have to be realistic when mm-hmm. we think about who these people are. Yeah, they can make a lot of promises. They might even follow through on some of them. But yep. the fact of the matter is many of them are out for their own political career, social gain. But that's what it comes down to at the end end of the day. And people will align themselves with whoever they think will get them there. They might not fundamentally agree with them as as we've seen many of the Republicans backpedaling and being like, oh, I I can't support this. I'm not with it. Meanwhile, they've been complicit for the last- People resign in like two days before their job is over. It's like, come on now. You you can't throw it. You can't can't push your resign uh, paper across the table when when the clock is over, like two hours from now. What you giving me your two weeks notice for? You was leaving anyway, sis. Like, what is is the reason? The funny thing is, I think- Like, do you think we're dumb? Like, I'm like, these people have to think we're stupid. They have to. They have like how many resignations have happened like after he lost? I was like, we still know you there, <laughs> right? That's number one. Like Betsy yeah. Devos talk about, I'm resigning. Sis, you should never have accepted the position, but here we are. Yeah, but I actually here heard, we are. I heard that um the cabinet members were only resigning so they don't have to invoke the 25th. If that if that comes to the table, yes. yeah, because because yeah. the, the cabinet members and the vice president people who 
Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, I don't want to be part of that. Go can So let me just get out. Like even the vice president, I'm like, you sat there for years and let that man carry on and said nothing. It was radio silence. And now you're like, I'm horrified by this behavior. We must stop. Like you let him do it all. Folk knew after Charlottesville. If, if people thought maybe once Trump has the imprimatur of the presidency, maybe he'll moderate and modulate. I think that's an in- incredible position to hold. But let's just be charitable and say that there's some good faith Republicans who, you know, believe in the 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 worth of small business and lower taxes and you know all the other sort of things they say. Uh when when Trump did this whole there's good people on both sides and did a total um PR political spin to try to uh, mainstream, you know, Breitbart and all of the, the Proud Boys. He was doing that back in, in 2017. Right. And right. So folk, folks knew they made, to your point, Christian, uh, Christian calculations. Uh, and I think you make a, a subtle point that all politicians, regardless of how soaring and idealistic their rhetoric is, are at best a combination of self-interest and the public interest. There's always an angle that politicians have. Uh, and, and at some point, uh, regard. Maybe they're also pushing for the public interest, but you're totally right to say there are career moves in here. There's angling, there's mm-hmm. jousting for a certain perch of power. That's always happening. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, as, as you mentioned, you know, um, uh, Hawley, like he, he hitched his wagon to this and he was like, I'm a young senator. Senators hang out for a very long time around here. So I'm going to hitch my wagon to what seems to be the thing that's working. The popular The popular. And now, his career is almost in tatters. His mentor was like, oh, I would never have mentored him if I knew he was this kind of person. Mm-hmm. His Simon and Schuster said, no, thank you. We shan't. Um, and it's like, dang. Like, I, I also do find it interesting. I want to get your thoughts on this, uh, Pastor. How do you feel about this, um, this movement that's now happening where the social media sites are like banning... Um, Trump's accounts, and they're uh, now everybody's trying to do this. We're going to do the right thing. We're going. We we don't support any of this. Like, what are your thoughts? Because my feeling is, you let him tweet for four years, yeah, and said nothing. Why now? Are are you suddenly getting rid of of his ability to tweet? And Simon and Schuster with the uh, Hawley book, you knew what he was. You knew what his energy was. You knew the vibe. Why are you now deciding that you're going to cancel his book and you're not going to put it out? Like, it, 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 see, it, I want to believe that it's coming from the right place, but uh, something about it gives me very disingenuous. You know, it, it's it's capitalism um, and opportunistic at the same time. You know, it, it's it's capitalism. It's the same reason why um, in June everybody at um. Everybody was calling their black their black coat their black um, team members and saying like, "Hey, I want to fix this." They knew it was probably before. Mm-hmm. They knew that black people complained before, but like now that it's financially hurting them, and like they're they're, they're realizing that if they don't say something, if they don't put a statement out, that it's going to hurt them financially. That they have to that they have to now do something because they're like, Let me, "Let's get in front of it." They're like, oh, someone's going to realize that this person is creating books for us and stop supporting us. So let's take them out now and make a statement saying that we care, get in front of it so that 
don't want her to cap. It's, it's, it's a cap. It's very capitalist, and that's the reason why it happened. Like I said, it happened in June. Like in June. That's true. That's, that's why like, all the companies like those companies that you would never thought of, like we're putting statements out. We're going to start doing it. I'm like, why, why aren't you doing it before? <laughs> yeah. But it's because now it's financial. It's going to financially hurt them to not do it. Mm-hmm. It's financially hurting them to not say Black Lives Matter. So like we're going to start saying that before it was hurting them to say. It. <laughs> yeah, and you know that I think there's something to be said. Uh, I'm thinking of two thoughts here. Um, scripture talks about the importance of, of testing every spirit. Mm-hmm. And the 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 Frankfurt School of Marxism talks a lot about um, the power of the spectacle and kind of securing people's consent uh, to injustice and inequality. And what I mean by that is that there, there's the social performance and spectacle of companies that have Black Lives Matter statements, uh, but many of them rely on independent contractors and, and, and Black folk in their supply chain that they won't pay a family sustaining wage. They won't uh, give actual career opportunities, but have them in this kind of, you don't quite have enough hours to get benefits. And mm-hmm. what you do get paid is not on par with the actual work you perform. So when you look at that, the actual structure of the operations, um, the way you you do business suggests that black lives actually don't have much value, but you can put out uh, these in vogue uh, press releases and statements to appear as though you're you're in solidarity with, to your point, uh, Mark, uh, an important base of consumers. Uh, and so I think it's important to kind of decode and demystify that uh, so we can move towards um, justice and, and and the common good. Uh, and then on, on the other piece with respect to, to Twitter uh, and Facebook, I think those companies are in a similar sort of space as well, right? They, they, they want to appear as though um, in the conflict between um, respecting people's free speech rights and also having uh, a duty to make sure that um, accurate, reliable information is being published on their platform. The story they would tell, right, is that when you have such egregious violation of those norms, you, you suspend somebody's uh, ability to kind of get their word out there because they're just uh, inciting violence, so on and so forth. But it's like, what a time to uh, have this awakening of, of social conscience. Right, <laughs> the, right. The, the, the timing is just unbelievably uh, self-interested. Uh, so, it, it, Twitter is not going to fact check all of the claims of emerging white nationalist politicians and governors and city council. They're, they're not going to do that. They're doing it to make a certain adjustment and temporary accommodation um, that they don't plan to um, invoke across the board. Right, right. Again, you said it perfectly. It's just like, okay, like, good for you, hand clap, but the damage has already been done. Yeah. So what 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 is the point now? Like we've seen we like January 6th is really where we saw the culmination of every single tweet that has been sent out. Like that's where it all came to a head. So to me, I'm like, what what is the point of this now? Um I saw some stuff on on the internet, you know, about this situation where people where there's a theory that this was not necessarily an inside job, but folks that should have been guarding and protecting knew what was going on and may have been um, part of the throngs of people that were storming the Capitol. Um, we, we have seen the videos of officers opening barricades and things like that. Taking and, selfies you know, and all that stuff. Yes. And so I'm like, mm, what, what, what I will say. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but the facts do. One plus one are equal in two. 
I, I won't even say it's, it's, people it's, too. it's not even a conspiracy theory if for weeks Trump has been saying January 6th. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come to the Capitol. Yeah. It's not a conspiracy theory if you keep saying that over and over. And then when you get there, National Guard is not there. Yeah. And no, and no one is there to like, and he, and like, I, I was saying like, um, back on June 19th, back on June 19th, um, when, when um, they, he was trying to do that rally in um, Tulsa on Juneteenth, mm-hmm. um, me and I guess, I'm not sure if you did it too, but like a lot of people were like, we're going to get seats and mm-hmm. seats so there'd be a bunch of blank seats in there. Mm-hmm. So I was a part of it. But ever since then, I get text messages <laughs> from the Trump campaign. From the Trump campaign all the time. And, mm-hmm. and like, I, I, it's good to read it to see what's going on. Within the last three weeks, every two or three days, he was saying messages, we will not surrender. We will not resist. We will not give up. Over and over, saying the same thing. We will not surrender. We will not resist. And you think that is like, so I've told people, I was like, hey, number one, the January 20th, stay with him, DC. I don't know what's going to happen, but he's mm-hmm. been inciting this over and over. Mm-hmm. When I heard about the Rising Six, I was like, hey, if you're in DC, stay away from January 6th, stay away from that. I don't know what's going to happen. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, because he, like, you can't use these verbiage and like, you're not, you're telling people, we will, we will not surrender. We will not surrender. Like, okay, so you're saying we're not surrender, so let's not surrender. Right. Yeah. Right. So that all plays into it. Um, a lot of people who are police officers support him. Yep. All right. So we, we need to look no further than, than, than Pat Lynch in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. Correct. So, like, so as, as a police officer, you're kind of like, as long as they're not hurting anybody, I'm going to do what they got to do. Mm. And, like, and, you have a view of these people are just like me. They're just upset and everything. And I, I think that's kind of where, um, where Black people always have this issue with how this plays out because we were just upset too. But because a lot of Black people, we don't have the, um, the political power or the uh, po- um, police power or certain, or, or, or certain um, people in certain positions that can relate to us, I relate to um, what we're going through. They're just in their mind. We're just angry and you're reacting to certain things. They're, they're they're not saying, "Oh, you're just like me." They're not saying to us, "You're just like me. You're just upset and you're just trying to fight for what you're trying to fight for." Because I understand how you feel, and I understand that you're not being criminal. You're just upset. And I think the part of the challenge is that white public dissent and discontent is seen as different than Black public dissent and discontent. White public dissent and discontent is seen as a legitimate grievance. And, you know, these people are within the bounds of their constitutional rights to petition government to redress their grievances. Uh, And so you you get this kind of myth, right, this social fiction of white innocence. Even when they're storming the Capitol, you know, it must be because um, you know, they're, they're losing their grip and they're losing their place in society. It must be because, um, you know, just, just incredibly sympathetic narration <laughs> of, of their concerns. Whereas um, the opposite of, of, of white, in a sense, is this kind of assumption of Black disorderliness and <laughs> chaos and criminality, such that when we are uh, petitioning the government to stop killing us, to redress our legitimate grievances. You know, we're just always figured and imaged as um, 
as immature, right? As, as people who won't vote and go through the conventional political process. We're trying to circumvent the process. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's a kind of, um, the womanist theologian ethicist, Emily Towns talks about the cultural reproduction of evil. And a part of how evil is reproduced generation after generation is seeing white grievances and white uh, resentment as um, understandable dismay at um, demographic changes in America that's going to have white folks no longer be a clear demographic majority. That, that, that kind of complicit narrating of America's political and social development is as problematic and as much to blame as elections, as um, conservative judges, as you know, other indicators of, of white supremacy that we point to. Yeah, like just just to read, just to see the pictures, like to hear that people smeared feces on the walls. Yeah. No shade, but we would never. Um, because that's just not how we roll. Like we like and, and we, we and it's gross. But like <laughs> we just want to get stop getting killed. Like we're not coming to a place to smear feces. To see that they like put blood on, and I don't know where it came from, blood on one of the statues. A guy walked out with a podium. There was somebody sitting on Nancy Pelosi's chair with his leg on her desk, and mm-hmm. he wore her mail. Um just the the, the like, like it's like the dissonance. It's like you're protesting because you feel like America's being stolen from you. But then you come to one of America's most sacred and hallowed grounds and disrespect it and deface it that way. It's like, how do you justify that so, you're, 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 pro, you're exercising your rights? You're protesting because you feel something wrong was done or an election was stolen. Like, why, why is it that your version of protest is to just deface and disrespect but when we just want to march in the street and say Black Lives Matter, that's a problem. Why is it that when Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, I'm sorry, kneeled mm-hmm. when the national anthem was playing, that was the most disrespectful thing that had ever been done. That was just defacing the whole of the United States, the military. They tried to attach that one act to so many things. But the the, the turnaround of justification of literally deface, I saw a picture of the, the damage, like one of the uh, employees, that there was a picture of him like picking up the debris off the floor. And it mm. was a person of color too, which is interesting. Mm. Was picking up all of the debris. It, and that picture was so poignant to me because it's always people of color fixing white people mess every time, every time. It, yeah. The narrative never fails. And so it's just to me like, how is your version of protest allowing for defacement and disrespect of iconic American spaces. But when we're marching down the street with a homemade cardboard sign, that's somehow more of a problem. Mm-hmm. Like and, that, and, that's the part I can't come to yeah. understanding about. And, and, and it's not even um it's even our way of how we feel about it now. Because like if you notice they weren't like none of them were scared of the police at all. Not one fear. They weren't scared of the police at all. And, and there were like there were talks to the police like, hey, it was like like none of like they they have no this, this this is my right. And this is how I feel. Even if even in the midst of when things happen illegally, um, that might happen with like, people might come and do some illegal things at Black Lives Matter protests. No one feels like they're right. <laughs> right. No one feels like I'm doing this 
and it's okay. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Yep. They were like, I'm doing this, and this is okay. I'm going to post it on Instagram. I'm yep. going to post it. Like, I would give my name out. Because it's just belief that, like, no, I am right. People need to know that this is right. I'm okay. And nothing is going to happen to me. Yeah, and I think I think that's the part. The part of just, like, they felt like they could come, they could do this, and there would be no repercussions. Nothing would happen to them. It was just them expressing their right to to march, to free speech, to whatever it is their, their argument is. And, and, and that's one of the disconcerting and yet, in a limited respect, probably true uh, self-understandings that they have. I do, I'm not sure that all the folks who participated in this insurrection will be arrested, will be identified, captured, and so on. And so the ripple effects of storming the Capitol, um, which I don't think is lost on those who make the calculation to support it, is that it will further embolden all the groups that the Southern Poverty Law Center is monitoring, all the folks that Color of Change is protesting against, so on and so forth. Um, and so that to say, it's going to take more than superficial calls to civility, to healing, to pulling together for us to um, push ahead. It's, it's going to take, um, King used to talk, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., about the importance of love, power, and justice. Uh, and so it's not only important to focus on the love, focus on what's right and what's just, uh, but making sure we're stewarding and building um, all sorts of power that are sufficient to help facilitate um, freedom and democracy being something that we actually enjoy and realize versus just something that, that we talk about. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that was kind of poignant for me with this was the hypocrisy and, you know, the way that, 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 that racists tell on themselves. So there was a woman who was an Air Force veteran, I believe, who was... <laughs> Yeah, who was shot by police. I think she was trying to like climb in a window or something and she was shot and she died. And I probably should not have gone on the internet while this was going on. But there were people posting statuses comparing her situation to Breonna Taylor. Mm, mm, mm. The, the hypocrisy. When Breonna Taylor was shot, People made all types of things. She shouldn't have been talking to no drug dealer. She shouldn't have been this. She shouldn't have been that. Mm -hmm. like, just just finger wagging. Uh-huh. Dragged her through the mud, tried to get her boyfriend to say that she was involved <laughs> with some illegal stuff. Like, it was insane how they did her. But the fact that they were able to connect the dots somehow and say, it's the same, that further lets me know that you know that what happened to her was wrong but you don't care because of the color of her skin. You think she deserved it because mm -hmm. of the quote unquote company she kept. But this woman who was literally participating in a national coup attempt did not deserve to die. But this woman who was in her home in the middle of the night, minding her business did like it blows. It just blew my mind. It's like, wow. Wow. Like to see the heartlessness of people towards other people, just because they don't look like them. Meanwhile, this woman who got shot, A, was a, a, I believe, an Army or Air Force veteran, knew better. She knew what she was doing. She was, a, she was essentially, at one point, a part of our military. So she knew that storming the Capitol is definitely outside the bounds of what you should do as a military member or veteran. Mm. She also had um, 
charges for uh, stalking, causing property damage. Like there were like a couple of restraining orders out against her because she was stalking her ex-husband's new girlfriend. But that's not the part that they're bringing up. They're bringing up that she was shot like by police. And we should be saying her name the way we say Brianna. T- we're telling y'all are telling people to say Brianna Taylor's name. I was just like, wow, that's it's wow. Yeah, just, wow. just willful misunderstanding and 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 <laughs> false equivalencies to, yes. to discredit. Um, Black freedom struggle, absolutely. I just, I just couldn't believe that somebody that people had the the audacity. I mean, I guess they stormed the Capitol. They do have the audacity to type on Twitter those statements and people agreeing with them. And I was just like. This is the Twilight Zone. Jesus, come get it. I'm through. You can come get it. I'm done. Come start the rapture. Come get the world. I'm out. Because this, like, the, the minute that we are doing Brianna Taylor, actually, whatever the lady's name is, comparison, we've officially gone way beyond any any concept of logic, and we're just down the road to crazy. Um, the other piece we want to talk about with this um, is the whole prophetic evangelical movement around Trump being the legitimate um, candidate. Um, we had the Paula Whites, we had the Vicky Yohays, um, Kenneth Copeland. We had those individuals out here vehemently um, arguing that God told them that Trump was the candidate and Trump was going to be the person to, to uh, fix all the problems in this country. And um, I have a friend who grew up in Indiana and grew up in a very uh, conservative evangelical background. And, you know, he really broke down for me how insular it is and how very little outside thought, outside of what is being taught in the churches that they attend, really gets to filter in. So the influence that the Paula Whites and Vicki Yohays and Kenneth Copeland has on this population is really astounding because they really, really convinced these, these people that this candidate or that candidate is God's candidate and that's the person they should trust. And um, it's, been, it's been very interesting to me to see how many people proliferated this thought process throughout um, the time that Trump has been president and those who still to this day won't back away from it yeah. and, and, it, and won't admit that they were not in a, at all listening to or uttering the words of God, but uttering the words of their own hearts. Like, yeah. I, 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 I just, before, before I'll make a statement. At a loss of words. Before the, how, how much more time do you have? So I'll make sure. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to have you on here too, too long. Good conversation, but we don't want to keep you. No, it's, a, um, I, probably need to transition uh, relatively oh. soon, okay. um, but, but definitely want to make sure we can 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 have this, this, this conversation play out. Okay. But yeah, like, I, I think um, the problem is, is that um, they, the people who are fighting for it feel like they're on this crusade now. Right. And I think that is kind of where the problem is. Yeah. I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Oh my goodness. Uh, a range of thoughts. Um, the, the, the first is that um, I think it's intellectually dishonest to mix religion and politics with absolute certainty and one is airtight, sure, this is where God stands, rather than, as, as Micah 6-8 talks about, doing justice, loving mercy, 
Uh, and it doesn't say walk arrogantly with God, but walking humbly with God. Uh, yeah. and, and a part of the challenge there is, you know, um, you have white evangelical politicians. And sometimes this happens across the political spectrum, but the consequences are most dangerous and most deadly when you have white evangelical folks who are so sure and who are prophesying, thus saith the Lord, that, that Trump is God's man that will use, that Trump, uh, because they know Trump, ain't really a Christian. So so uh, some of the evangelicals say he's, he's like Cyrus in, in the Bible in the same way the heart of, you know, this, this kind of Persian authority was kind of turned towards God and, you know, what the enemy meant for evil is being used for good. These are the kind of utilitarian arguments that are being made such, such that, that, that folks are overlooking all of the things that the moral majority and the Christian coalition came arguing against. You know, he's been married multiple times. Uh, I mean, we could go on and on. He's on tape, right, uh, talking about sexual assault. So, so this is clearly not someone who's who's an upstanding uh, moral leader. And because That's people have committed well, so we know he ain't no real Christian. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Uh, tell us about two Corinthians and, and, and so <laughs> forth. You know, not even showing up in nobody's spot for Easter. I mean, come on. If you can't can't show up for Easter, what, what what's going on? What's going on? Exactly. Exactly. Um, but so, so so there's that going on. But but I think a part of what is particularly disappointing is that you have so few um, white evangelicals who are willing to break ranks and swim against the time. You know, you have someone like Beth Moore who became famous for you know in white evangelical circles for all the Bible studies she's put out and all the speeches she's she's given, <laughs> and she's one of the few that have taken a stand saying that you know this kind of um, categorical support for Trump is really idolatrous, you know, just because you get the judges you want and you'll get uh, the tax cuts that you want um, in terms of corporate income taxes and things of that sort. Um, what, what you're trading off is actually undermining all the credibility that, that you're articulating around the gospel. Um, so you, you see uh, folks like Beth Moore trying to somewhat cut against the grain, but not enough by a long shot. But then you also get the, the kind of highfalutin um, legitimacy conferred to Trumpism when you have six Southern Baptist seminaries saying, we don't want to have any talk of critical race theory. We, we, we denounce racism, so they say, uh, but we don't want to listen to Black folks, many of some of them Christians, folks like Derek Bell, who's one of the uh, co-creators of critical race theory, who's writing about these things, not... Um, detached from his faith, but they literally, it comes from his faith. He's got all these biblical superscriptions in his books. And so, so there's this kind of imperial logic that says only white folk get to define who God is. Only white folk can articulate in public what the gospel is about, what political responsibility for the church means. And we won't listen to, to black Christians, right? Yeah, because they don't think we were Christians to begin with. I was about to say, like, because like, if you, if you notice, like during the, um, at the, on the Georgia running, like the guy who well, we're not. We're not. Like the stuff they were saying about, it, I was like, I feel as if like a lot of times they just don't they, they don't categorize a lot of black Christians as real black Christians as black yeah. pastors as like the real black Christians. And I'm I'm not gonna say it's only them. A lot of us don't do that too. A lot of us put white pastors mm-hmm. above black pastors. Yeah, that's it. And if a white pastor says something, we'll, we'll listen to it more. Than black like I've 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 seen people in my own church that do that. Yeah. yeah. Like if a white white pastor like, oh, listen to them. And they're looking to them more than they're looking to anything else. Yeah, and like it's it's just it's a weird it's a it's a weird hold. Yeah, that they it, that they it's, have. Vi- 
Th this this preference for white instruction as equivalent with truth is the most objective. It's the most unbiased. It's the most reliable. Uh, Carter G. Woodson talks about that kind of stuff in the miseducation of, of the Negro. It, it's it's a it's a technique of social mm -hmm. control and subjugation mm -hmm. um, to prefer whiteness to enlighten you and to think that. Um, black folk talking about the same topics are, you know, running a game or whipping yeah. up your emotions or somehow not bringing all the rational heat to the to the table. Um, and, and that is also some of the most venomous um, interior damage that, that living in America does. Yep, you ain't lying. You ain't lying. It, it, it's just, it, <laughs> this, is, this has been such an insane season. I don't know if you know this guy. His name is... Um, Pastor Jonathan Miller. Um, he's in South Bend, um, Indiana. I've been I started following him this year on um on on YouTube, or last year I should say. And you know, he gives a prophetic word every year at the end of uh at the end at his watch night service. And you know, he said at the end of 2019, there was gonna be a lot of exposure of religious figures in this country who we have long thought to be, you know, upstanding, astute, whatever the case is. And I very much feel like that's been happening in 2020 and it's going to continue to happen in 2021 because, you know, black people, I ain't even going to hold you. We've bumped with Paula White for years. Well, not all of us, but some of us. I mean, mm -hmm. she is where she is because of black people. Let's mm -hmm. be honest. T.D. Jakes and, 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 and those of that ilk have elevated her to where she is. Come on, come on, Krista. Come on, Krista. Um, it's hot. It's hot on the All Love, No Fear podcast. <laughs> uh, I was watching an interview with, I believe, what's that lady's name? Oh, my gosh. She's a pastor from Michigan. I can't think of her name right now. But I was watching an interview with her, and she mentioned how, you know, her and Paula White, like, had traveled together before. And, you know, how she was like, Paula really thinks that she is entitled to Black spaces, to yep. blackness, to all that that entails within the body of Christ because of her elevation by T.D. Jakes and the like. And so to see that T.D. Jakes, who is someone I would argue is pretty much well-respected across the boards amongst sure, black sure. and white um, Christians, to see that his name is now affiliated with someone like this who is now proving to be someone that's absolutely not for us that is 100% for her own agenda and mm -hmm. for upholding white supremacy. It's, it's, I never thought that that would be something I would see. Like Paula White, that was a definite shock to me. I would never have thought that. Um, Vicky Ohe, she's been showing but, her behind from the beginning. So I mean, well, it's whatever. Paula White's been like um, Donald Trump's personal mm -hmm. thing for a while. Like he, she, she's been around Donald Trump like the whole, almost the whole residence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, a part of the, the, the challenge, there, I'm trying to say the most gentle way to, to say it. Um, there is something, um, th th there's a kind of lane that some folks run in uh, that's a colorblind Christianity. It doesn't matter what color you are, as long as your blood is red, you know, the, the cross is, is not for you know, an elephant or for a donkey is for the lamb. You know, the, the, a, an attempt to kind of transcend the conflicts of history and get above um, racial hierarchies, and and that kind of willful um, marketing and packaging of Christianity into this kind of 
appeal to all demographics uh, approach. It, it is really a commodification and uh, and really desecration of the gospel because a part of what it does is it creates a platform for people to do like what you mentioned Paula White does to, to kind of preach with the, the sounds and the signifiers of, of black preaching traditions but not to preach what Jesus preached, one, and then two, not to preach to the actual full lives of the black folk that are coming to your conferences. And so it, there are consequences to this kind of colorblind Christianity that obscures the Jewishness of Jesus, that obscures the social conflicts that Jesus rushed into headlong all throughout um, the Synoptic Gospels and, and, and John's Gospel, which is its own category. Even John's Gospel has Jesus taking sides. So, mm -hmm. you know, people are constructing um, an ideological Christ who's more tied to whiteness than to the liberation of all uh, folk who bear God's image. Yes, yes. Yeah. Even I used to hear all the time, um, it's not an issue of racism, it's an issue of sin. It's an issue of sin, but also racism. Right, like both, both, both can cohabitate the space at the same time. As, as, as though racism is not a sin. You know, it's the willful separation of, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it is It is sin. Because if, 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 if God's commandments are to love your neighbor as you love yourself and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, all your mind, like... What part of the Bible is y'all reading? Because how can you, like, you must not love yourself if you have this much hate for your neighbor because their skin, their skin color is different. There yeah. is no way you can love that that is impossible. Or, or not be empathetic to their struggles. Yeah, like, it's just it's just not possible. So yeah, it's like, like, like if, if, even if you, like, don't know it because you don't see it. Yeah. If 80% of us are saying it's a problem and you're like, no, it's not a problem. <laughs> You know, it's a problem. Like you're not empathetic to try to figure out how to fix. Like you know what I'm saying. Like it's. Yep. It's like you're discounting eighty percent of us. For for what? Right. Just because it, it, it because it makes you uncomfortable because yeah. it doesn't fit with your narrative of the world. Like 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 it's like what like they were saying. Like people were saying like, oh, Trump is doing well. Black because ten percent. I was like, yes, it's ten percent, but it's only ten percent. Yep. Ninety <laughs> percent of. Like, still have an issue that you might want to address. But to, to, to go over the 10% that agree with you and not to 9% who don't is insane to me. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. You, the you're, great you're poet right. Sean Jay-Z Carter said, men lie, women lie, numbers don't. And maybe you should pay attention to the 90%. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Well, that, that, that great psalmist, Brother Sean. <laughs> yes, yes. Great psalmist. Great songwriter. Yes, God. Yes, God. Um... So yeah, I know you have to go, so we're not going to hold you any longer, but thank you so, so much for joining us and for sharing your perspective. Like, bravo. Do you have, bravo. Any, you have any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? Any words you want to leave us with? Yeah, uh, well, one, um, uh, what a joy to, to be with both of you all. Uh, congratulations on uh, season three and and, and all the, the episodes uh, therein and, and to come. Um, I think my, my final thought would be, um, you know, if, if we are going to um, be about this uh, this freedom life, for real, for real, it, it's going to take um, some, uh, one thing we've talked about is un uh, being uncomfortable, some uncomfortable 
truth telling, mm-hmm. um, which is to note that that a even though the Republican and Democratic parties are not equally responsible for oppression and unfavorable conditions that that Black folks face, um, it nevertheless is true uh, that the Democratic Party is no um, savior of, of Black folk, mm-hmm. uh, nor are they even committed really to poor white folk. Yes. Uh, and so the the opportunity to build um, a cross-section of um, black folk, white folk, Latinx folk, indigenous folk, uh, and some of the white folk, they got a little bit of uh, 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 John Brown and uh, anti-racist Susan B. Anthony, though she didn't quite get there in, in her, her life. Uh, but, you know, let, let's suppose her descendants may get there, right? Uh, if we can stitch all those folk together, we may, may be able to make a democracy out of America yet. We'll, we'll see. Yes, in, indeed we shall. Indeed we shall. Uh, thank you once again so much. We loved having you. Definitely have to come back again soon and chop it up about, I don't know. You know, it's safe being something happening. So I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk Keep about. Keep to be with you all. All right. It was a joy to have you as well. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your day. Is there, is there anything you want to promote before we move on? Anything you want to tell the people about before you go that you got? Oh, my. Um, I, I, I should uh, have, have something uh, to, to promote. Um, Lord have mercy. Um Follow uh, the, the Saints on on on, uh, on the socials, I suppose. Uh, so um, uh, our, our church uh, handle is, is Double Love uh, Experience on um, Instagram, um, Facebook, on Twitter. It's Double Love NYC. Um, y'all pray for Pastor Gabby. Uh, she's a little under the weather. Y'all y'all pray uh, her, her recovery um, and follow her to Pastor Gabby uh, C Wilkes on on IG. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and also um, their podcast are coming out with a, um, a virtual um, live show. Live say, show. It, say it loud. Say it really? loud. That's uh, it. It's Pastor Gabby and I believe and Kaya. Kaya Jennings. Kaya yeah. Jennings. Yeah. Yes. Uh, just um, look, follow Say It Out Loud on Instagram. Yes. They're out there. Yeah, on yes. Facebook also. Out, out, out here in these streets. Out, out here in these streets. streets. Excellent Black people being excellent. Okay. That's yes. it. That's it. All right. All right. Until next time, friend. See you. Thank you so much. God bless y'all and talk to you. God bless you. Bye. Oh, do you have this on? No, I'll get it right. Yeah, so that was that was great conversation. I'm I'm glad he was able to join us because you know it's I like I like the perspective. Yes, and it adds some depth to our to our conversation because I think he he was able to articulate a lot of the things that we think but don't quite get out (laughs) in the way that we would like to. So, with all that being said, let's move on to happier things. Let's go to Artist Spotlight. I should pull up a bio, right? My artist spotlight today is Coco Jones. um, And the song we're going to be playing is called Just My Luck. Um, Coco Jones um, is one of the former Disney kids um, who is now I think in her early 20s and trying to break out as an adult star. So according to Wikipedia's, um, she's an American singer, rapper, songwriter, and actress. She rose to prominence starring in the Disney Channel film, Let It Shine. She was also featured on Radio Disney's Next Big Thing from 2010 to 2011. Um, Coco is from Columbia, South Carolina. 
Um, and her dad is uh, a former NFL player by the name of Mike Jones. And her mom is also a singer. Um, and so, huh? Um, NFL player Mike Jones. Ooh. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw what you were trying to do. I'm so tired of you. Um, <laughs> uh, she's another young lady that I found off of um, the Terrell Grice show um, she was in a Fanta commercial um, back in 2017 and I think her voice is amazing like she's very very talented uh, she's 23 years old and she uh, released uh, an album or an EP um, in 2019 um, and the song that we're playing is going to be off of that uh, EP. Uh, it's called Just My Luck. Uh, you ready? Yes. Let's get into it. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at me, look at me, struggling, bring me down I want more of it, is that what you hear? Is it written on my face, or is it in my eyes? Cause I'm stuck up in this place, and I just, I don't know Where you're leading me to go, pulling me here, pulling me there Can't take no more, what happened to being happy? what I ask myself over here trying to mask me who even is myself just my luck just my luck what you want what you want just my luck just my what you want from me what you need me to be Do you dare me, double dare me to say otherwise Well I dare me, cause I'm restless and you're better lies I don't know where you're leading me to go Pulling me here, pulling me there Can't take no more, what happened to being happy? That's what I ask myself, over here trying to Enough for you is my melanin offensive. Do I talk more than I show you? Tell me, do I meet the standard? Well, do I fit in the box or am I just too much to handle? No, I'm just too much to stop. Cause I won't ever let you in the way of me and only me. Still, I rise what they raise me on. I guarantee it on my mama and my sisters. I'ma get there, I'ma win it.
that was Miss Coco Jones giving you the vocale, okay? Yes, my look. Yes, like she gives me like a Jasmine Sullivan brandy, like wrapped into one. Like I get a little hint of Ariana, but you know, like less, more powerful, of course. But like, I guess they was Disney kids, so maybe they all went to the same classes or whatever. But um, <laughs> I love her voice. Um, you should go check out, I know I talk about this Terrell Grice show all the time, but you should go watch the Terrell Grice, Terrell Grice episode with her. Like she's very entertaining, like as a person and vocally very, very talented. And she's one of those people who, I don't know why Mark is playing the YouTube kids right now, he's not even here, but um, I'm sorry with that. Are you playing again? I'm trying to turn off. Fix it, Jesus. But yes, Coco Jones is, uh, I fell in love with her voice just listening to her um, when she was doing the song Association on Tegrell Grice. So what, go watch that episode. Get into it. She is great. She be singing, okay? And she's one of them like effortless singers. So, you know, yeah. I love effortless singer. Um, so uh, we talked about this briefly um, in our topic, but... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Ready for this weekend random. Yeah, I didn't even do no intros. Um, so wanted to start off with some celebrations. So Georgia did it. Yes. Georgia did it. We've got the first black senator coming out of Georgia and the first Jewish one coming out of Georgia. It was the same thing too. Like after other they count all the in-person votes, um, Republicans winning, after count all the mailing votes, Democrats winning. Mm-hmm. Shouts to the good sis, Stacey Abrams. Give that lady her things. Put some respect on her name. Stacey Abrams said, you may have stolen an election from me, but I'm going to take the whole state from you. And what about it? Yeah, and she did. And she did. So kudos to her. Black women fix everything. Just kudos to us as Black women, because we out here, we do everything. Um, the one thing I did want to talk about with that is I found it very interesting how right before this runoff, there were storylines about Warnock allegedly abusing his wife, um, allegedly putting his hands on some kid. It's funny how it magically vanished. It's funny how it appeared and then went poof. I, I just think um, these last ditch efforts that people will make to try to tear someone down to bring them all, their own selves up, and then it's like as quickly as it came, it went. Like I feel like we're seeing a lot more of that in these in these like past couple of months, where it's like somebody's getting ready to make a move or do something, and then all of a sudden the story comes out, and then next thing you know, it just evaporates into thin air. You don't see any reports about it. You don't hear anybody talking about it. It just vanishes. I just find it very very interesting. But congratulations to Warnock and Ossoff on their positions. Kudos to them. Speaking of accusations magically appearing. Um, I generally don't care about either one of these people I'm about to talk about, but it, it, it made me think about um, how things appear and disappear. So um, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian um, are breaking up. They're going their separate ways after, what, four or five kids they have? I think it's four. And uh, as soon as the news broke about them going their separate ways, the next storyline that came up was that he was allegedly sleeping with uh, Jeffree Star, who is, I don't want to be a liar and say they're trans. Um, let me look it up before I tell a whole lie and be disrespectful to people. Because um, I have seen, I think Jeffree Star is like a YouTuber who became famous uh, doing uh, uh, videos and stuff like that um, with makeup and whatnot. Um, yes. Uh, so Jeffrey, Jeffrey's a... a Drag queen, I guess. I'm trying to be politically correct here. 
I don't want to be disrespectful to people. Um, and has also released some music and so on. Uh, was apparently uh, signed to Convict Music, super random, um, back in 2010, but uh, then left after some legal issues uh, that Akon was facing. So um, he founded Jeffree Star Cosmetics in 2014 and made about 18 million off of YouTube, according to Forbes, as of 2018. Um, so the people were saying that Kanye was or is sleeping with this Jeffree Star individual. And that's why him and Kim's marriage broke up. And I just found it interesting that I had never heard anything of Kanye even knowing this Jeffree Star person. And maybe I missed something. So if I did miss it, let me know if I'm wrong. Because again, I don't pay attention to Kim or Kanye. So I don't know what either one of them do or who they hang with. But I just found it very interesting that as soon as the divorce was announced, the next story is it was because he was dealing with Jeffree Star. I'm like, I, I think it's just, it, like, if you notice anything in the past months, they seem to have gone apart. Who, Kim and Diane? Yeah. Like, I mean, the divorce announcement doesn't shock me in the least. Yeah, like, I figured that was I, I, I don't think it's... I just don't understand why the need to tell me and the rest of the public that he was allegedly, allegedly sleeping with Jeffree Star and that was the reason. No, not that he was saying slavery is a choice. Not that he was wearing MAGA hats and supporting Trump, like none of that. It was because he was sleep allegedly sleeping with Jeffrey Star. Yeah, and like I think they're only saying that because Jeffrey Star and Kardashian have that beef. Right. But again, like again, it just sounds to me like a bunch of nonsense and storylines. Mm. And it probably is an attempt in a custody battle yeah. to say something about it. Cause but it's just funny how how that story came out of nowhere. Um, when I'm like, for all the times that Kanye has been in the media. This, this past year. At no point did this ever come up before now. Now it's coming up. Okay, y'all. Go ahead with these storylines, but y'all y'all be great. And apparently he's been trolling everybody. Who, Kanye? Or Jeffree Star. Jeffree Star. Because he's like, y'all sound stupid. Yeah. Like, so, so he's been doing a bunch of, he's, he's been posting a bunch of memes about it. Jeffree Star is like Nene Leaks on that reunion where she was like, you see how they put me in stuff I ain't even did nothing? Jeffree Star is like that. I, he don't even know why his name is being brought up. He's like, I've just been minding my business this whole time. Well, I don't know why people are talking about me. But anyway, lessons to the two of them is they divorce. Hopefully it's amicable. They don't drag it out. Um, and hopefully you don't get an aneurysm from it like Dr. Dre did. Um, so <laughs> in case you didn't hear, um, Dr. Dre apparently was hospitalized earlier this week with an aneurysm. Uh, I'm not sure what happened. It might be, and I'm not trying to be funny, it might legit be stress from this divorce that he's going through because it seems like this battle is not ending anytime soon. It seems like this is going to be a lengthy um divorce process and um yeah i think he did agree i read to pay his wife two million uh in spousal support i don't know if that was per month or if he was just giving her a lump sum to just hold her over till everything's all said and done but yeah it appears he's uh recovering which is you know good because any reasons i know of a few people who have died because of them so kudos to him, his medical team, to God for keeping him from dying. Um, I, I guess I, I really they're saying that because Jeffrey Star moved to Wyoming, so can't say that. Okay, it's much fresh. But let's move. On. Yeah, move on. 
Anyway, so we talked last week about Soho Karen, a.k.a. the 22-year-old girl who accused a 14-year-old boy of stealing her cell phone and basically tackled him to the ground and assaulted him. She has been arrested and charged with felony assault and so on and, and larceny and whatever. Um, but before she got arrested, she did an interview with Gail King. Um, and during the interview, Gail was like, because she kept referring to herself as a girl, and Gail was like, but you know better. You're 22. Like, what are you talking about? And she was like, enough, Gail. And she put her hand up. And I, having no knowledge of Gail King beyond seeing her on TV, wanted to jump through the screen and smack fire out of that girl. I, man, number one, even when she, when she did it, even her lawyer looked over like, sis, is you, can you chill? Because first of all, you're on national television interviewing with Gail King, who is, you know, a pretty big deal. And so this interview will be seen by millions, number one. Number two, get like Gail King is an elder, okay? You can feel however you want to feel about Gail King as a person. At the end of the day, that is a grown woman. That is somebody's mama, auntie, like that is a grown woman. At no point ever, even if she is out of, out of line, do you put your hand up and say enough? Like the disrespect of an elder like that is just not okay. Like I, like I was mad. I was like, did she really just, I said, what she talking to? And you could see Gail's face was like, <laughs> like I promise you, if this wasn't an interview over Zoom, Gail might've reached out and touched her because who are you talking to? No, you're out of line. I hope she goes to jail and she stays there for a little while because she, and probably goes to a detox program. Because she was giving me I'm on drugs tease while she was doing this information, doing this interview. And truthfully, the fact that she tackled a random 14-year-old in a hotel lobby for no real reason, sis might be unhinged. It might be drugs. It might be a chemical imbalance in her brain. She probably needs some psychiatric and or um, substance abuse treatment. I hope she gets both. Because it seems that she has a pattern, her and her mama, of acting up. In public places. I was trying to prove I'm a child. No, uh, you a 22 girl. You're not a girl. A 16 year old is a girl. You're a 22. You're an adult woman. Cut it out. Stop it now. Stop it now. You're not a child. Yeah, you're many things, but a child is not one of the things. So get out of my face. You know better. You know better. Cut it out. Get out of my face. Um, moving on from all that nonsense. So I saw an article, um, yesterday, where uh. It was written by, I don't want to be a liar, but it literally came out yesterday. It was written by a, a young, youngish black guy who um, is basically advocating for Northern black people to move back to the South. And his argument basically is the North is so, what's the word I want to use? The North, while there are opportunities the North has become so like cutthroat and harsh that a lot of Black people in the North are actually like living in struggle and in worse conditions than when their ancestors came to the North to get away from the South in the first place. And so he's like, and he, his argument basically is there are more of us numerically in the South than there are in the North. And so by going back down there, we could actually build a coalition of like black cities and black towns really taking stuff over, especially with people coming with that Northern hustle and Northern knowledge that we have to approaching things to making life better 
in the South. And I just thought it was interesting because I, I I never thought that deep about it. I really oh, was just I, like, like the South, all the houses are cheap. Like that's all I had. No, no, the South is definitely better for black people. I don't care about this. Um, the South in general is better for black people. I don't, like everybody who thinks not is is foolish. It's smoking the smoking the crack. That's basically what he said. He was like, like the South in general is always better for black people for a long time. Yeah. Who, um, what's the name of the author? Uh, his name is Charles M. Blow. Yeah, it's, like people don't, and people just don't understand because people just keep thinking about the South and like, oh, like the South. There's more full communities of Black people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of there's a lot. I feel like there's a lot more Black um, people who Black educated people. Mm-hmm. There's black, a lot of Black um, millionaires. Like it, it's just it's just more of a cluster of us together. Yeah, I'm not saying like because the big cities they have a lot of black people, so mm-hmm. I'm not taking away about black. But yeah, we're not. We're, for, for some reason, we're not all clustered though. Yeah, we're we're like we're just we're just sprinkled in, so it, doesn't, it makes it seem like we there's no black community. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a lot of um like even where your sister lives, like all the people around there in that in that complex are black. All the people I've ever seen are black. Yeah. So like New York has an issue. Like there's, there's no prosperous. Black neighborhoods, really. There's not a lot of them in mm-hmm. New York. And in the Northeast in general, like, yeah. there are not that many. There's not a lot of them, but there's a lot of them in the South. Yeah. Yeah. In the article, I wanted to read, like, a quote he said. Um, Brian Stevenson, the executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, calls migrants of the Great Migrations, of the Great Migration, refugees and exiles of terror. By extension, many Black communities in northern cities, abandoned by the Black elite and spurned by white progressive, have become functionally permanent refugee camps. I was like, not refugees. But like when you think about like the projects and you think about like how generations of people have been in the projects, like the projects didn't always look how they look and didn't always have the reputation that they had. These were people that came from Southern states looking for opportunities, looking for things. And they lived in these apartment buildings and, you know, they were thriving. Fun but as, as things have as, as things have progressed, like the quality of the housing, the quality of everything has diminished, and now it is like. What I will say is the funny thing. I think people. I think, I think black people in New York have a worse view of how black people are than other people on stage, mm. Be- because we have this view which is like any black people in New York feel as if if they are, have college education, they have a certain house, they're better than other black people mm-hmm. around the world. Yeah, because, and that's because of visual not seeing mm-hmm. so like, i understand where it comes from right and like and most times when they're in businesses they're in businesses with it's not a predominantly black business mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a lot of those mm-hmm. i started like you know like some, so i see a lot of in brooklyn and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but it's, it's not a lot of all black businesses so mm-hmm. in your mind i'm the exception right right so like, i think that is um it's, it's just like i, I don't it's a, it's a combination of a lot of people but it's just if, if if all people came together and there was like we had, we had these actual clusters mm-hmm. of um prosperous black people would be one thing, but we don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean all, all, all the all the um clusters of black black cluster neighborhoods are are um, visual, visualized as low income neighborhoods. There, there are clusters, but like they're never promoted. Right. Um I would say like in Westbury, you have a prosperous areas of Westbury. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mostly black or mostly Hispanic, and it's very prosperous area. But you never hear about them, right? Right. Yeah. The and the funny thing is, all the um black neighborhoods in Nassau County that people think are the hood, they also have a very big cluster of mixed parts. Yeah, yeah. So like they all have it. So Roosevelt has a nice part. Mm-hmm. Hempstead is a very nice part. Mm-hmm. Um, they, like they all have very big clusters of nice parts of of high quality houses yeah. that I never talked about. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, we've had conversations about going south at some point. I feel like I'm a little bit more on board with the idea than you are. But, and it's not shade to you. It's just, you know, that might, that might not be your idea of a good time at this juncture. But, you know, it was a very compelling argument. And it's like, I've seen a lot of people, I know people make jokes about people think they're going to move to Atlanta and change their life. But <laughs> I have seen a number of people who have really moved to either Georgia or Texas or North Carolina <laughs> do it right. and have really made much better lives for themselves than that, than what they would have had had they stayed in New York. So, I mean, I think there is something to well, that conversation was, I guess, maybe the, topic, the conversation to the, to the situation. But I think it has to do with, like, and I, I've said it before, it's just community. Yeah, yeah. And, like, when I say community, I mean, like, our community of friends, our community of people that we know yeah. is a strong community that they're not all coming with us. Right. And, try, and like, we're, we're, we're not good at, like, just making friends, making friends and getting a community again. So, yeah. like, I don't, we'll, we'll move somewhere I'll be on our own. Yeah. Like, I feel like the option would be to either move to Georgia or just be alone somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and the last thing I want to talk about it's kind of, it's kind of random, but um, Alex Trebek's last Jeopardy episode aired this week. Okay, I haven't watched it yet because I'm sad, and I don't want to because I'm like that means he's not coming back like after it's like ever. But uh, who's the suggestion? Like I know they had someone as a suggestion. I think they had Ken Jennings, who was like the he's like one of the more recent um, Jeopardy winners. I think he's the most. Winningest, winningest, winningest uh, Jeopardy contestant ever. Um, so I think they had him as a stand-in. I don't know who they've decided upon as a permanent person yet, but I knew they were having him do some of the episodes. And I think Alex Trebek had suggested him as someone to possibly replace him. So I'm pretty sure that they're going to try to choose a person of color or a young. Yeah. Yeah. It is white men are bad business right now. Yeah, they're gonna shoot someone of color or one. Not they bad, I shouldn't say bad business, no. but in these in these times, people are trying to do uh people are trying to do uh do other the more uh uh socially acceptable looking things. Like, like, that might be Ken James though. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, I would love it if it was uh, LeVar Burton. Because I, I, uh, yeah, I want to hear Mr. I like his voice. I like Mr. Reading Rainbow. But we'll see. Um, that was it for things to talk about for the week. Did anything happen that you want to bring up that I didn't put down on the list? Um, no. No? You're not here. All right. So um, in terms of new music, um, as I mentioned last week, Jasmine Sullivan, uh, Hotels came out. Um, it's very short. It's only like 32 minutes. Like I, I was at the end. I was like, damn, it's over. But it's a mix of like, uh, <laughs> it's so quick. I'm like, I feel like I waited like five years for Jasmine Sullivan album. I was expecting a longer situation than this. But it's a mix of um, like spoken, spoken conversation type things and songs. Um, I like it. It's super cute. Like people were saying it, it, it kind of, is reminiscent, not reminiscent, but like comparable to Lemonade in terms of talking about like relationship issues with men. Um, I don't know if I would do that just yet, but I kind of understand where they're coming from. Um, it definitely is an album that talks about, you know, women's relationships with men and how, you know, it seems like 
the good girls don't be winning. It'd be the hoes that's winning. That's why it's called Hotels. Um, I think my favorite songs on it are the one with uh, her. And um, there's another one on there that I really like. I think it's the one with, I like Lost One. And I think I also like uh, Pick Up Your Feelings. Those are my three favorite ones on there. Like the Anderson Pack one is cool. And I like the Ari Lennox one too, actually, um, on it. So like I said, it's a quick listen. It's like 30 something minutes. So get into it. Jasmine is singing down. Also watch her NPR, um, her tiny desk. Um, it's 20 minutes, but she gives vocals. I love her as a singer. Like you can tell she's like an open mic, like live type of singer. Like she just, she just knows how to give it. So um, check that out. And then um, the only other album that came out this week that I felt like talking about was um, Griselda and BSF. They put out an album for, uh, it's basically a soundtrack for a film called Conflicted, which is basically something that their um, collective is putting out uh, on the 15th. And so they put out the uh, soundtrack to it today. Um, I didn't, so the movie is starring, uh, yes. So the movie starring Benny and Westside of Griselda and, uh, Jay Holiday, who we haven't heard about since, uh, Suffocate, um, is also in the movie and, uh, Michael Rappaport, who keeps being invited to black things and I'm unclear as to why, because he's suspicious to me. Um, but the people keep inviting him, so he keep coming. Um, he's also a part of the movie as well. And the soundtrack features uh, work from Dave East, Lloyd Banks. Um, uh, who else they got on here? Uh, obviously, the West Side Gun, Armani Caesar. West Side Gun? Yeah. He's part of the Griselda. You said the West Side Gun. And a couple of other artists that I don't really know, but. Wale's on there, Smoke Dizzer. Yeah. Armani Caesar. So if you're looking for some rap with some grit, check that out. It'll bless you. Conflicted. Oh, no. Don't say we never did nothing for you. All Beyond right. that, that was all that came out this week. I looked high and low. Yeah. High and low. Found nothing. Found nothing. So yeah, that's that's it. That's all we got. Yeah. Um good. No, that was it. I just saw this pop up. Jim Jones drops video for election featuring Joel Santana and Mark Sibilla. I'm going to have to go watch this video. Uh, anyways. Rumor or some songs I listen to? Rumor? Oh. Yes. Okay. Uh, is this the one that they filmed at the, at, at the Madison Square Garden? I don't know. I remember seeing some things. Anyway, we'll get to it. But yeah, that was that was all we had for the All Love No Fear podcast this week. Right. Two more episodes until the season ends. I can't find it. Yes, because yes. I, I need a break. Plus, we need to do some... Uh, some... Uh, some refreshing, mm-hmm. you know. Refresh, relax. Refresh, refresh, refresh. Refresh, refresh, refresh. <laughs> Not the shoulders. Not the shoulders. Refresh. Hit them with the shoulders. 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 Um, We've got to grow up. We all right. But um, hopefully we'll see you next time. Yes. With... Hopefully there'll be no riots, no insurrections, no other shenanigans. Work. Um, it'll be like just quiet, normal, regular, like celebrity nonsense happening Work. that we can talk about because I don't like having heavy conversations here. This is supposed to be fun. Um, and 
those white people did not make it on this week. So that's that on that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I hope you all have a great week. Um, stay sucker free. Stay COVID free. Um, wash your hands, don't touch your face. Um, that's all I got. Okay. Got it. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Until next time, we bid you adieu. Uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah. It's the All Love No Fear Podcast. Hey. It's hey. the All Love No Fear Podcast. Hey. Check hey. us out. Hey. It's the All Love Oh No Fear Podcast. Uh huh, uh huh. All Love Oh No Fear Podcast. Hey.